Footprints presents The Incredibles, a series where you meet ordinary but incredible individuals. It's possible to bring people together in ways that uh, they're very seductive and they're sexy. So you go into a Mogao cave and the whole universe is in the cave. There's no other place where we have so much art over such a long period of time that's so rich in detail, but also that's been so well preserved. My name is Neil Schmidt. I'm an American. I work at the Dunhuang Academy and I'm a researcher and it's been in some ways a dream to come here. So one of the great things about living in Dunhuang, but also of course doing research here, is that uh, it gives you perspective on uh, where you stand in relationship to the world. Dunhuang is a small city in the northwestern Chinese province of Gansu. It has a history of more than 2,000 years and has been described as a place born in legends. In today's episode of Footprints, we will find out why one American decided to settle down in Dunhuang permanently. Is he enjoying his life there? And what does Dunhuang truly mean to him? Stay tuned. Dunhuang, a transportation hub along the ancient Silk Road, was where East met West. From the 4th to 14th century, and especially during the Tang Dynasty, it became the center of the world where multiple civilizations, religions, and ethnic groups gathered, overlapped, and merged in prosperity and harmony. The legacy Dunhuang has left us is still significant, far beyond its past glories, unique geographic location, and historical relics. Its great cultural and artistic value continues to inspire us today. And it's all because of the Mogao Grottoes, built within the sandstone cliffs at the Ming Sha or Singing Sand Mountain, some 25 kilometers away from Dunhuang City. The caves are regarded as the most richly endowed and longest used treasure house of Buddhist art in the world. So this cave was created in 538, and we know this because... 59-year-old Neil Schmidt is standing inside cave number 285, describing the detail of the murals. So, like all Mogao caves, this was created for merit, to generate merit. Being a full-time researcher, the first expert to hold such a position in the Dunhuang Academy. It's not surprising that he knows nearly everything inside the cave. So there's a direct line. He points out an interesting fact. On the paintings, there are Taoist motifs, together with the Hindu deities of Vishnu and Ganesha, along with images of Apollo with Chinese faces. And the cave is designed to worship Buddha. The grottoes in Dunhuang were built from south to north along a 1.7-kilometer-long cliff. Some of them are high up and some deep inside the cliff. Some are large in size and others are small and simple. Different caves impress me for different reasons. So there are these caves from the 10th century, which are very, very large, and they're built by the local elites. And so what's fascinating to me is that there are caves that are built out of religious devotion, 
uh, but they're also built for political reasons, for social reasons. So they're very human in that sense, right? In these caves, we see these cultures coming together, these very, very different cultures coming together by seen in the donors on the wall. Looking from the outside, these grottos appear dilapidated and worn out. But inside, many of the paintings are still bright in color and vivid in shape. You go into Mogao Caves and we can see elements from Greece. We can see elements from India, elements from Persia, aspects of different religions in a single cave. They're there harmoniously. They're not in conflict. It's not zero sum. There's a beautiful mixture and a harmonious mixture of ways of doing and ways of thinking. Day after day, Neil Schmidt finds himself mesmerized and captivated by what these caves can offer. These precious caverns have become important sources of his inspiration and wisdom. The memories that I have are these moments of discovery where I've been able to make connections between objects or spaces. There are certain things that I didn't understand before, which all of a sudden, these things finally make sense. We have to let these materials speak for themselves. He shares with us one of his many interesting discoveries. There are these very tiny caves that look like they're fit for Barbies, you know. And so I created a project to study those. So people would say, oh, well, they're made for people to go in and worship. Uh, but that's not true, right? Because we've got caves that you actually can't enter. And so one way to understand that is offered to the Buddha, it's to show devotion, it's to, to show respect, and it's, of course, to get a merit, gondo. And these little caves are fascinating because they're perfect replicas of larger caves. It, maybe you don't have that much money, but you can show your devotion and you can get merit in return. According to Neo, if we can put ourselves in the mindset of the ancient people who lived hundreds of years ago, we would understand their needs and thus be able to uncover the mysteries of history. In other words, Humanity is what connects modern-day people with these ancient frescoes and murals. There are 735 caves in the Mogao Grottoes, which boast a total of 2,415 sculptures and 45,000 square meters of murals. They display and unveil to the world a living history of mankind's activities, both material and spiritual, during a long period of time, from the 4th to the 14th century. It has thus earned its reputation as one of the biggest art galleries in the world. In 1987, it was listed by UNESCO as a World Heritage Site, one of the earliest among Chinese entries. Coincidentally, that was the year Neil Schmidt visited Dunhuan for the first time as an undergraduate student majoring in Chinese literature at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And I came here with a friend in May of 1987. It was my birthday. And so there's something sort of magical about the encounter in a number of ways. Of course, we were young and naive, and we thought, oh, we'd just rent a bicycle and pedal to the Mogao Caves. Right? <laughs> and of course, we didn't realize quite how far it was and also through the desert. And of course, coming up this hill uh, to the Mogao Caves is actually really long. Uh, but we did it and had an amazing experience. When there's no easy, accurate, or rational explanation for a beautiful encounter or a relationship, 
Chinese people love to use the word yuanfen. Nio also used this word to describe his encounter with Dunhuang. Yuanfen is a concept that we really don't have in certainly in English, right? We have words like destiny or fate, but yuanfen is the coming together of different circumstances、uh, that create a unique setting, opportunity, or relationship. For Nio, it was indeed love at the first sight. I firmly believe that there's no other place like Dunhuang in the world. There's no other place where we have so much art over such a long period of time that's so rich in detail,、uh, but also that's been so well preserved. Going into the caves, into the Mogao caves for the first time, it's kind of mind blowing,、uh, and it's so different from anything that I'd certainly seen before. It's so beautiful, and there's a kind of seductiveness. You get pulled in, and you want to know more. At least I wanted to know more. Neil Schmidt was born in Virginia, in the United States. He says it appealed to him at a very young age that he wanted a life full of opportunities to feed his curiosity. I'm very curious. I'm curious about everything. And my favorite place was the library. I always wanted to go in depth to whatever I studied, you know, as far deeply as possible. At first, China was certainly not on his radar of discovering wonders. Let alone building a career here, since for most Americans it was a terra incognita. And my first encounter with China was when I was a child, and I saw Nixon come to China in 1972. And I remember watching the TV and seeing his motorcade、uh, move through the Chinese countryside, and it looked so different from the United States, from where I lived. That memory actually impressed me a lot. That was an ice-breaking visit in China-U.S. relations since the founding of the People's Republic of China in 1949. About five years later, China started to attract the public attention in the U.S. after the country launched its economic reform and opened itself up to the outside world in 1978. Soon afterwards, the world witnessed China and the United States establish the official diplomatic relations. Before college, when he was 14 years old, Neil Schmidt had his first close-up exposure to Chinese painting during a visit to the Smithsonian Institution. That experience made him aware of the significant status of the old Oriental civilization within the larger picture of global cultural history. So China was a really fascinating contrast、uh, with the West, and I really enjoyed that. That was also seductive in a way. You know, because it、uh, it made me want to understand,、uh, you know, how this country came to be the way it was and is, and why so different from the West in many, many ways.、So. Back then, information and knowledge about China was too limited in the U.S. With a quizzical and explorative mind, what he saw and heard with his own eyes and ears, being so different from the world he knew. Pulled him closer to China, he gathered up courage and decided to dive into this vast and mysterious country. I wanted a challenge that would really push me and push my limits. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can study an ancient culture. You know, there's Egyptian culture or there's Mesopotamian culture. But China is the only place that has the kind of continuity、uh, that it does in terms of written characters. We can look at Jiaguwen. 
right? Oracle bones, and we can see some of the characters that are still used today. So 4,000 years later, it's quite remarkable. One day in 1983, when he was participating in a student exchange program in Taipei, he opened a book about the Dunhuang manuscripts. And the book was a translation into English of stories uh, from the library cave. And these are Buddhist stories, also historical stories. And the notes were so rich that I was really intrigued that all this information uh, could come from a bunch of texts that were hidden away in a cave in the desert. The Dunhuang manuscripts refer to some 60,000 historical documents in different languages from along the Silk Road. They have been buried and hidden in the library cave, also known as Cave 17 in the Morgao Caves system, which was accidentally discovered by a Taoist priest in 1900. The manuscripts, both religious and secular, are an encyclopedia of the ancient period. For example, it documented China's earliest form of women's associations in around the 10th century, telling a lot about the pursuit of ancient Chinese women of independence and equality. So one of the great things about Dunhuang manuscripts is that we have all aspects of daily life recorded. So there are these texts that said, oh, you know, the, the Women's Association is having a meeting next week. Uh, please come uh, bring wine, bring some, uh, you know, millet, uh, bring some oil, for example. In China, these she, these associations or, or groups, are very, very important because they provide a space that's not family and it's not government, a kind of free space, especially for women. They provided these sort of unique spaces where people could come together away from their family. As far as I know, in Europe, at the same time, there wasn't anything like this. Neo was amazed by the quality of the works and the legends that lay behind them. These manuscripts inspired him to embark on the journey to study Dunhuang, and he longed to make a personal visit one day. As a matter of fact, the literature in Dunhuang started to attract the attention of scholars around the world as early as the 20th century, when the unexpected discovery of the library cave brought Dunhuang global fame. At the same time, it was on the brink of an unprecedented period of exploration. It attracted the world's ardent archaeologists to swarm to China, many of whom used various means and ways to steal the treasures they found. As a result, the cultural relics that once belonged to the cave have become scattered across more than 10 countries around the world. Many Buddhist sutras and murals have become valuable parts of the collections in famous museums around the world, such as the British Museum, the Gimei Museum in Paris, the Russian Academy, etc. Less than one-third of the remaining Dunhuang manuscripts are currently housed in China. When commenting on the unfortunate, or rather humiliating, history of the library cave, Neil Schmidt says, Judging from today's moral standards, values, and perspectives, the Western archaeologists' approach to take away antiquities from where they belong is unacceptable. But there is the other side of the coin. It's unfortunate in certain ways, but there are also a silver lining, right? These materials went to the West. This way, Chinese culture was shared. A lot of these materials inspired a wave 
of scholars to study China. And the silver lining of those materials going to Europe or even Japan, uh, going to America, was that people became interested. They learned much more about China and Chinese culture. It is also a fact that it ushered in an era when scholars from around the world began to study the manuscripts found in Dunhuang. To a certain extent, Western archaeological enthusiasm has given birth to an academic discipline called Dunhuang studies. In 1944, the Dunhuang Academy was founded in an effort to protect the Morgao Grottoes. Over a period of nearly eight decades, the Academy has grown from nothing to its current size, boasting more than 1,500 employees. It now plays a crucial role in global cooperation and joint research programs on Dunhuang studies. In 2018, Neil Schmidt became the Academy's first foreign member of staff. However, before he got this permanent job, he underwent a long probation period in academia. As a professor I once had uh, said, you don't need to know everything, right? But you do need to know where to find information. To find his own answers, Neil plunged into the field of Dunhuang study in various locations worldwide, including assisting a scholar in France and doing research on Buddhism in Japan. In 2002, he obtained his PhD at the University of Pennsylvania. After that, he taught Buddhism and Chinese religious studies at universities in the United States and Europe. During that period, he made dozens of trips to Dunhuang for study and academic exchanges. Those experiences prepared him for the job at Dunhuang. In 2017, when working as a visiting scholar at the Dunhuang Academy, Wang Xidong, the then director of the Academy, invited him to join the research team on a permanent base. Dunhuang is a remote geographic location with harsh weather. To come or not to come is a hard question for any rational person. Dunhuang is an isolated place. It's far from everything. Uh, it's not an easy climate. It's difficult in certain ways, but for me, it's just too good of an opportunity to miss. My passion for Dunhuang, for the art, for the literature, for the history, it's been in some ways a dream to come here. I mean, I feel very comfortable here. The Dunhuang Academy is located some 30 kilometers away from the city center. In between the downtown area and the academy, there is a desert where you can experience the singing sand dunes and the Morgao caves in the distance. For 35 years, since his first trip to Dunhuang, Neil Schmidt has been commuting between the two spots, a journey he still finds exhilarating today. And of course, the landscape is magical. So I look out my window and I can see Ming Shashan. I can see these giant sand dunes. Every day coming up the hill to the Mogao Caves uh, is kind of magical. You know, I feel very, very happy. It makes me happy. So there's that trip uh, as you go up the hill. And uh, that to me is, is very, very special. I, coming up here, I feel much lighter, you know, much happier. Time flies. The distance remains the same, but the commuter has evolved 
from a young, curious student to a broad-minded, knowledgeable senior scholar. Again, the first time I came to China was in the very early 80s, and it was a different place. And I could not have imagined in my lifetime that it would change so much. Certainly I don't mind being older, uh, but I really appreciate having experienced such a rich and diverse life. And a lot of that feeling comes from being in China, right, and watching China change. Together with Dun Huan, he has endured wind, frost, snow, sandstorms, severe cold and heat. And like many of his colleagues, what keeps him going is his passion. Well, I, I work a lot, so I'm always uh, sitting at my desk and uh, doing research, studying and studying and looking at this material again and again. Uh, but that's very fulfilling. It's very, very fulfilling to finally say, ah, Oh, this is why it looks like that, or oh, that, this is the function of that I'm finally able to get, understand a pattern or, you know, a phenomena or a certain style. For Neil Schmidt, stepping inside a cave is similar to jumping on a spacecraft, which enables him to travel freely through time and space. We can think of Mogao Caves as a portal or like a time machine that you can travel in time. We can go into those caves and travel into the past, but for the people who constructed them, it was also an opportunity to go move into different places in the future, better lives in the future. He compares entering the caves to exploring the universe. So it's really a, a sort of microcosm uh, in many ways of, of other aspects of the world, but other aspects also of the past and the future. So you go into a Mogao cave, right? And the whole universe is in the cave. Dunhuang's past is, in many ways, entwined with its present and future. Its wall paintings tell the stories of not only human societies, but also the planet and the universe. This is probably why Dunhuang and the Mogao grottoes fit perfectly with what Neil wants to explore. Well, the soul of Dunhuang is a complex and deep soul. It's such a rich material culture, a textual culture, that you can always find new things to uncover and discover. There's an old Chinese saying, all rivers run into the sea, tolerance is virtue. Neil Schmidt expounds that more than a thousand years ago, ancient craftsmen in Dunhuang had already understood this wisdom and carved the motto and teaching onto the rocks and cliffs. We've seen how uh, cultures can come together in a place like Dunhuang, uh, and it provides an ideal or an idealized version of uh, this kind of multiculturalism uh, that can be seen as a kind of target or goal uh, for us to, to work towards in the future. Chinese historian Ji Xianling once said that Dunhuang is in China, but the study of Dunhuang belongs to the whole world. Nowadays, individuals are able to access the database of Dunhuang academic resources in ways unthinkable to scholars in the 20th century. The Yi Dunhuang Project, a database established by the Dunhuang Academy, has digitized all the details about 220 caves, including pictures, videos, and 3D data. The information of 30 caves is currently open to the public for online viewing. Dunhuang's study would not have thrived without international cooperation. The International Dunhuang Project is currently a foundation for joint research. 
It boasts eight renowned institutions across the world as its members, including the British Library and the National Library of France. The British Library held an exhibition by making use of the available resources of the project. That event ended up attracting some 150,000 visitors. Meeting international scholars, as well as research in Dunhuang in situ, offers Neil Schmidt a rare form of cosmopolitanism. In that, he works with the best scholars from all over the world, as Dunhuang studies have flourished over the past three decades. He says it's the perpetual and inexhaustible charm of Dunhuang that has brought these intelligent souls together. The ability to share that and inspire people across civilizations, you know, across cultures is precious. And I think one of the amazing things about Dunhuang materials is that it's possible to bring people together in ways that uh, they're very seductive and they're sexy. Uh, they're able to bring scholars together from all parts of the world. However, despite such increasing academic interest, Neil points out that there is still a long way to go to improve public knowledge of Dunhuang in the West. Westerners don't understand China very well, in part because it's, it's so foreign. And it's very difficult to sort of enter into the culture and also the history, because the history is so rich. There's so much history and there's so many layers of culture that in some ways it's overwhelming. That makes it difficult for Westerners to understand. Neil believes that the study of Dunhuang is not only about getting to know China's past, but also about finding out why China once prospered along with the rest of the world. It is a model of peace and harmony still of value to help us find solutions to the problems faced by the world of today. One of the things, for example, that the Mogao Caves provide, uh, just like they provide inspiration for artists, uh, they can also provide uh, inspiration or ways to begin to perceive oneself. You need to be uh, comfortable and confident in your own identity and understanding what that is. I think just by opening people's minds to different ways of doing and different ways of seeing, different ways of thinking, this is extremely important. Unfortunately, China's historical connection with the rest of the world has largely remained unknown to the majority of people worldwide. Because I really want people to understand China. Uh, I really want more mutual understanding. Dunhuang is an excellent platform to bring people into Chinese culture, uh, but also share Chinese culture with the world or share the mix of cultures that was here to show that there was a kind of harmonious, uh, complex mix of cultures coming together in a place, a single place like uh, Dunhuang. As a Westerner dedicated to Dunhuang art and culture, Neil says he wants to serve as a bridge between China and the rest of the world. The beauty of humanity and art he has discovered in the caves, which he believes should not remain hidden in the caves, motivates and inspires him to share with more people the enlightenment he has received. Apart from research and academic exchanges, Neil Schmidt is also actively engaged in introducing and promoting Dunhuang to a wider audience in the West. There was an exhibition in 2016 at the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, uh, which was really a groundbreaking exhibition of Dunhuang materials. And it was really the first time that Americans were able to see all the different types of art and texts and visual and material culture 
that Dunhuang embraces. <clears throat> this is one of the most attended exhibitions ever at the Getty Museum. On the wall inside the building of the Dunhuang Academy, we will find this sentence. History is fragile because it is written on paper and painted on the wall. History is strong because there's always a group of people willing to protect it with the hope that it will never be forgotten. History should not be forgotten. Neither should the history makers, such as those who built and preserved the caves. Thanks to people like Neil Schmidt, who have come from afar to protect and promote the wonders of Dunhuang, their legacy will be spread across the world. With that, we conclude this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our reporter Lu Chang. I'm Manling. If you are interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary people in China, follow us on Apple Podcast. Just a key in Footprints, and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We will see you next time. Bye for now.